Let's do it. Aldazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? Say we got every single line wide open. Just go ahead and give us a call. Glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's right. Right now is the perfect time to call. You got it. Got all our lines wide open. Got plenty of time. And Ready to talk. I'm, I'm even relatively fresh after a good night's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> give me a call about 5.30 in the afternoon. I'm kind yeah. Of... <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, 10 o'clock on Saturday morning, I'm good. I'm Ready to go. Good to go. That's right. Hey, just in case you don't get a chance to call, something occurred to you during the week. That's right. You can always visit our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Right. Easy way to remember that's Altazan's Garage Company. That'll get you there. And there's several, there's actually a lot of things to do on the site. There's three databases you can search for a particular topic, depending on what you're looking for. Well, that's three of probably the most popular things on the site. Vehicle questions and detailed topics and agco questions. We talk about that a lot. But it's also tons of other things. For instance, a photo gallery. Yeah. And there's several different categories of photographs in there. One of them that... A lot of folks say they really like, and that's the old tools. This is a database that shows photographs of old tools and old equipment going back all the way to the 1920s and beyond. Some of that stuff, you you look at it and you wonder, what did they do with that? (laughs) Who thought that up? (laughs) (laughs) But this is just a whole collection of old tools and old equipment now, kind of fun to look at. There's another one there, of course, about the history and evolution of Agco. And if you ever had any ideas or about where Agco came from, how we developed, how we evolved. There's quite a few. I think there's 40 or 50 different photographs uh, going back all the way to 1974 when we started the shop, the one-bay shop. And, of course, we got a big expansion project going on right now. That's right. Even as we speak. That's right. <laughs> Getting a little extra space there. Yeah, they poured some footings yesterday, I guess it was. Yeah, got some uh, four-foot footings poured. Yeah, and... four by four by four with iron and steel. And, oh, That's it. Man, I tell you, I guess when you sit there on a nice, pretty day like that, and you look at it and say, boy, is all that really necessary? Of course, next time a hurricane comes along, I say, yep. <laughs> Glad they did it that <laughs> yeah, way. definitely worth it. <laughs> it's a good thing we got engineers. That's it. You know, they don't just sit there and look at the pretty day and say, well, we don't need all that. <laughs> at least I hope they don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's another thing you can do on there. There's a newsletter you can subscribe to. You can get information about the auto awareness program. And on and on and on and on, there's also a whole category in, on the philosophy of AGCO, which a lot of folks, when they come in, the, one of the first things and repeated things that we hear is how different we are from other shops. That's right. It's not like walking into a, a shop you're used to walking into. Right. And that is by design. We are different and we think a lot better. We, meaning our customers and, and ourselves, seem to get a lot better results with the methods that we use. Now, certainly that's not for everybody. Some folks are not going to want to do things the way we do. And that's right. fine. There's lots of other shops out there as well. And some of them do a really good job. It's just this is a way that we have found that gives excellent results time and time and time again, very consistently. And it's worked very, very, very well for us. So if you want to read just a little bit about the AGCO philosophy, there's a whole a whole Big category section. with several articles on how we do things, why we do things that way. And I think it's very logical. I think most people would understand and appreciate it. They- sure. Like I said before, it's not your average automotive shop. You right. walk in, as soon as you walk in the front door, you notice things aren't the same as you used to see. Right. The reason being, I guess, when I first conceptualized AGCO, I was working in a car dealership. And there were some things going on that I just really didn't like. And when I looked around, the same things were going on everywhere I looked. 
And I really didn't care for those sorts of things, the way employees were treated, the incentivizing you to sell things that maybe need selling, maybe didn't need selling, the rushing, the, the competitiveness between the employees. So when I set up to design Agco, I designed it in a way that did not take any of that into account. Mm-hmm. That's the free enterprise system at work. That's right. That's, that's the good thing about America, at least the way we used to have it. <laughs> <laughs> at least for a while, anyway. That's right. You could come up with an idea, and you could put it, if you had to uh, put yourself behind it and get fight, it going, yeah. fight for it and get it going, you could make something out of yourself. That's so, right. A whole lot of other things on the site other than the question and answer section. Now, of course, the question and answers are great as well. And if you have a question specifically about a certain topic, you can go to the vehicle questions, and there's over 650 of those in there now. So you will very likely find what you're looking for right there. If you don't, you can always send me an email. Right, and that's a short, to-the-point answer to a particular topic. Right, now, and that also has a link, which if there's another topic on there with a lot more information. Like, for instance, I put one on this morning about wheel alignment, and the title is, Do You Really Need a Wheel Alignment? Because you know as well as I do how often folks come in, the car's pulling right, it's pulling left, and it has nothing to do with the alignment. Exactly. Uh, pretty much every day. Yeah, it's pretty common occurrence. And this goes into the difference in tires. It talks about conicity, which is something most people don't know anything about. It tells you how it occurs, why it occurs, how it affects your car. It goes into some other things that cause a car to pull other than alignment. Some things you can check yourself before you run off looking for alignment. That's right. Because... How often do we also hear, well, I've had my car lined twice and it's still pulling? Every day. <laughs> Every day. So, and know, like you were saying, you know, the first thing you do is you cross the front tire. Right, and it goes the other way. And it goes the other way. You've got a tire, tire problem. You know we have a tire issue. You don't have an alignment issue. And there are some cars that are so sensitive that one PSI difference side to side may make the car pull slightly at high speed. It's possible. Yeah, some cars are more sensitive than others. Other cars, it may take four or five pounds, but... The air pressure in the tires being correct, front mm-hmm. and rear, because yeah. a low rear tire can also cause that problem. Yeah, it's it's kind of difficult to find if you're not really looking for it. Mm-hmm. I've had several come in that had a low rear tire. Right. They'd been to several different places. Nobody could get it straightened out. Check the air in the tires. Right. Just something that simple. Yeah. But this article goes in-depth on that, and it talks a little bit about alignment as well, but it's mostly about not needing an alignment, which a lot of cars don't. A lot of cars are well aligned when they came from the factory and when you go and you let somebody tamper with it it ends up not as well as it was before so that's right it's not something you just want to go do you don't alignment's not a maintenance item it's not something you need to do every so often it's something you need to do when you need to do it if you got tire wear if you got to pull one way or the other if your steering wheel is not centered then you may need an alignment you may not right and the the worst thing to do is go in and ask for alignment my car i need to line my car right well they take it in the back, they set the alignment on it, and you get it back and it's still doing the same thing it was before because you didn't communicate right. your your what, problem. What were you trying to solve? You were Yeah, you're trying to diagnose over your knowledge and everything, mm-hmm. and there's certain times when you need to bring your vehicle in and say, look, my car is doing this. Well, and that's probably always the better bet to go in and just tell folks what your car is doing rather than go in and request a specific service because very, very, very often people will come in and they'll, they'll say, I need a tune-up. Okay, well, I, need to, I just need a tune-up this time. Okay, well, is there a problem? No, nope, no problem, I just need a tune-up. And, okay, well, you go ahead and you change the plugs, you change the air filter, you change the fuel filter, you give it back to them. Well, the next day, well, this thing's still idles rough when it's cold. Yeah. Well, now, you didn't say idle rough when it's cold. You said you want a tune-up. You brought it to me, it was already warmed up. I drove it. 
it was, was still warmed, warmed up. up. Right. <laughs> I have no way to know that after it sits all night, it's going to be rough in the morning, and you didn't tell me that, so we end up with a problem. Whereas exactly. if you come in and say it, it was rough when it's cold, well, now I'm looking for something totally different from a tune-up because a tune-up is not going to fix that in the first place. Oh, exactly. Most likely that's going to be a vacuum leak or an intake leak or something like that. So it's a whole different set of things. Mm-hmm. Point is, you go in, you give them the specific symptoms. Right, and better yet, if you show the technician that is working on your vehicle, right, what is in what is working? Particularly if it's anything kind of strange or right. weird. So that's it. Agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. I think you'll really like it. And we got Bob online. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. How y'all doing? Doing great, doing sir. Great. All right, look, I have two general questions. Sure. The first one is: Is there a rule of thumb for getting your fuel injectors clean? Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Bob, fuel injectors clean themselves. Okay. okay? And everything that you hear is strictly advertising geared at selling you something. Now, there are times when injectors do need to be cleaned. They are few and far between, in my opinion. All this stuff about the stuff they sell you to pour in your tank and it's going to improve it. No, it doesn't. Gasoline's already got detergent. And if you're using a decent grade of gasoline, that's all you're going to need. Injectors are self-cleaning. Okay. In the rare case that you do actually get a clogged injector, generally the first symptom is going to be a rough idle. And it's going to still run okay, but you can have a rough idle. Generally, when you truly have a clogged injector, you're going to have to use a professional machine that runs some chemical through that that's stronger than you can put in the tank. Because if you put anything that strong in the tank, you can eat the tank up, eat the fuel pump up. And there are times when the injectors act to come out of the engine and right. be back flush cleaned. Right, mechanically cleaned. Right. But i got to say, 90 and I'm going to go out and I'm going to say 95% right. yeah. of the time that injector service is sold, it is absolutely not needed and just snake oil. Okay. All right. Especially my, if you have no symptoms. Okay. And my second question sure. is, is there any way you can test a mass airflow symptom? Yes, sir. Absolutely. How? Oh. You have to have a digital lab scope and it's going to produce a pattern, a square wave pattern. You have to compare that to a known good pattern. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> it's not anything you'd be able to test yourself just because it's producing a square wave, which the computer is interpreting as airflow. So it's pretty difficult without the right instrumentation and knowledge to, to do much with it. But yeah, it can be tested, but it has to be tested on the car. And again, you use a digital lab scope to check the pattern on it. That's how you can test it. Now, those are relatively expensive, and what's worse, Bob, we have found it's almost impossible to get a good one. I have bought from General Motors five of them, and not one of them even met their specs because they're all rebuilt now. You can't get new ones for the most part, and the rebuilt ones are just absolute trash. Even if you go back to the dealer and get them, you're almost better off to go to a junkyard and find one that's running and take it. But I can tell you, a lot of times, mass airflows just need to be cleaned there's a little wire that runs across that thing called a corona wire and Uh what it does the way that sensor works is that it takes a certain amount of electricity to heat that wire to 180 degrees and the more air that flows past it the more electricity is required because the air is cooling it back down that's roughly how it works now when it gets dirty then it's insulated so it requires less electricity to maintain the temperature so that's why it starts reading wrong and when it reads wrong, then the engine doesn't know how much air is going into it, so it's screwing up the, the fuel-air mixture. What will happen on a modern vehicle is that they have a check on there, which is the oxygen sensor. It's going to watch what's coming out tailpipe. If that reading is not correct, it's going to override the MAP sensor and correct it, and the difference will be called fuel trim. Fuel trim is the amount that they're having to add or subtract in fuel 
based on what the sensors are telling it it should have. So another way to kind of test it, but again, it doesn't tell you because a lot of things can cause it, would be to look at the fuel trim on the engine and see if it's off. But again, there's a vacuum leak can cause the same thing. A bad oxygen sensor can cause the same thing. A bad MAP sensor can cause the same thing. So, But that's what happens. Now, once the fuel trim gets to a point, either 15, 20, 25%, whatever that car is programmed for, it's going to kick the check engine light on. Now, it may set a mass airflow sensor code. But now, it, it doesn't mean it, the sensor's bad. It may also set an oxygen sensor code. Right. You see, if you let's say you got a vacuum leak in mm-hmm. the car. Mm-hmm. Well, it's sucking air in. It's not going past the mass airflow sensor. So all the engine knows is that, hey, we're having to add more fuel based on the amount of air this thing's telling us we need. So it's going to set a mass air code. But it's a vacuum leak. It wasn't a mass <laughs> airflow sensor at all. So, right, and, that, and that's the core. I have, I have all those cores. I have a, well, actually, I have one of them. is a low fuel pressure. Okay, well, that would be where I would start right there because mm-hmm. if you've got low fuel pressure, then you're not getting adequate fuel pressure. The engine's going to lean out. It may very well set a mass airflow sensor code and a lean code. Right. Well, that's the plan. That's what I'm planning to do is change the fuel filter first, the cheapest thing. Well, absolutely, yeah, because that probably needs doing anyway. Yeah. And if you've got a fuel pressure gauge, what you want to do is put a fuel pressure gauge on there and see if you've got Because, see, on a Ford, a sensor that reads fuel pressure, the sensor can go bad. It can have perfect fuel pressure and then think it's low. So you may end up changing a fuel pump for no reason. Yeah, don't that's change why, fuel pump now. That's why you need a fuel pressure gauge to check the output right. of the fuel pump. And not only that, see, that also has a module that drives that pump that can vary the speed of the pump and make the fuel pressure where it wants. So if you've got a bad module, you're going to set a fuel pressure. That's right. So it's one of those deals where it is just way too expensive to start guessing this stuff because a fuel pump is probably 400 bucks plus you got to drop the tank. The module's another 300 bucks. you got to drop the tank. Just, it's going to explode on you as far as cost. You need to get someone who can check it and tell you. Certainly, the fuel filter is not going to hurt anything. Change yeah. it anyway, and, and if it fixes it, then God bless you. You know, you're home free. When you get that filter out of there, empty it out into a clean bowl and look at the gas. Make sure there's not a lot of trash and sediment in it. Turn it around backwards mm-hmm. so the, the flow is backwards when you drain right. it. And, and all it. the trash and stuff will come out on the backside of the right. filter. Right, if you got some water in it or something like that, then right. you kind of got Just an idea, too. put it in a glass jar and let it sit. About an hour, hour and a half, two hours, it'll separate out, and you can see what's in it. Right. Okay. All, All right, then. Right. I appreciate that. Okay, All right, Bob. yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. We're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah. So they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at AGCO Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we're trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we got all our lines wide open, so give us That's a try. Right. <laughs> right now is the perfect time to call. 
Yep, that's it. So we were talking about symptoms and problems and things like that just before the break. And you can get to the point where you sound like you're lecturing after a while, and that's not the intent. But there are ways that you can prevent a whole lot of the problems that people experience. And the average person probably gets their car fixed once or twice a year, but I see it 25, 30 times a day. Sure, sure. That's And I see people who get really good results, and I see people who get poor results or have gotten poor results elsewhere. And so I have a much, much different perspective on it than the average person is going to have. And that's what you're trying to do is to share some of that knowledge with other folks just so that they won't have some of the problems that you've seen over and over and over again. One of the biggest things we see is where I had a gentleman who had emailed earlier in the week, and he said he had a truck that wouldn't start, and it felt like it wasn't getting fuel, so he dropped the gas tank and changed the fuel pump. Right. And, of course, it still wouldn't start. And what he did is he got off on a tangent. He says, it feels like it's not getting fuel. Well, that is not knowledge. That is a supposition. That is a a guess. That happens to be wrong because the fault was you had a security system shutting down because the ignition switch had a bad lead on it. Now, when you turn the switch on, all the lights came on and all that. It just cranked, cranked, cranked because it did not send the signal to the pass module to allow the thing to start. Right. Well, it might seem like it's not getting gas, but that is not the problem. So... If you jump off on a tangent like that, what you can end up doing is just spending a whole, whole lot of money that you didn't need to spend and maybe even create another problem because once we did get it started, there's an EVAP code, which means the gas tank's leaking because when he changed the fuel pump, he bent the top of the gas tank. Well, now he's got another whole big problem. That's right. And getting using the proper equipment for a proper diagnosis uh-huh. is where you need to start. Right. It may have worked. 20, 30 years ago, well, cars to were, put a fuel pump on it. Cars were fairly simple. They were fuel, real simple to work on. A fuel pump back then cost about $30. Now it costs it about $400. it took 20 minutes to change. It's right right. in front of the motor. But now the, you just can't go by. It feels like such and such, and so I'm going to try to do blah, blah, blah. Right. Cars are so much more complicated than they were back then. Well, that's right. And, and that was probably never a really logical no, way to do things. but it usually got decent results. Yeah, well, cost-effective results in some cases. But what happens is that if you not trained in logical thinking and you don't have a way to check it which most people are not trained in logical thinking Mm -hmm. like a technician is instead they look at well it feels like this so let's start there right but that doesn't necessarily mean it's that it could be the inertia switch is tripped now you don't have a fuel pump yep it could be the all pressure switch is bad so now you don't have a fuel pump it could be the relay is bad it could be the pcm is bad there's lots and lots and lots of things even if it is a fuel pressure problem and we don't even know if it is so right, without the proper test, you don't know if you need it, have so, a fuel pr- pressure problem. That's right. I see we got all our lines lit up. Let's talk to Roger. Good morning, Roger. Yes, sir. I have a 04 Chevy Silverado. Yes, sir. That I had a problem with. I took my battery. I disconnected my battery cable. And anyway, that that didn't. That wasn't a problem. It was a different problem. And so I fixed that. And when I connected my battery cable back, mm-hmm. my air from my air conditioner only goes on defrost. Yes, sir. Even when I turned the knob, mm-hmm. I was wondering if that was a computer default or... Well, probably it's disconnecting the battery and reconnecting in the middle of its cycling. What you might try, Roger, is turn the ignition off, disconnect the battery again, leave it disconnected for about 10, 15 minutes, go back and reconnect it. If that does not fix it, then you're going to have to bring it in. We're going to have to recalibrate that module. Because when you disconnect the battery, you freak out every computer on that car. Right. And sometimes the, the servo motors are in a... In, in a position where they can't home, which means they can't tell the computer where they're at, so it's just the whole thing's going to lock up. Now, when you unhook that battery, turn like Lewis said, turn the key off, 
make sure you open the driver's door before yeah. you disconnect the battery. It stays powered up for about 10 minutes after you turn the yeah, key off got, if the doors have it open. reserved energy module on it. So if you don't open the door, it's just like leaving the key on when you disconnect the battery. Right. Oh, okay. Now, expect... A poor run. Yeah, it's, it's going to run real bad for a little bad. while. It may shift bad because right. you're losing all your block learn when you do that. Basically, you don't ever want to disconnect a battery in a car for any reason if you can ever possibly avoid it. That's why I always advise people to change the battery every three years before it dies. Go Put a jumper battery on it, replace it, and keep going because every time you do that, you can end up with problems like you got now. But yeah. to ask you a question, sometimes we can take a Tech 2 and recalibrate that computer and Re save it. Right. Okay. Alright. Open the door and disconnect the battery. You could try that. I mean, try it's not going to hurt anything it's now. It's already been done. Yeah, whatever damage is done is done. So if that doesn't okay. fix it, then you, you're into a bigger procedure. Okay. Alrighty. Appreciate it. Okay. All right. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. You want to be part of the automotive hour? We'd love to have you. You know, who would think something like changing a battery could cause a problem? Well, you would, Except that it yeah, does. It does. A, big, <laughs> well, very, a lot of times. Very often they won't idle after you do that because the throttle body is dirty. It had learned its position with the throttle body dirty, right. now you disconnect the battery, it loses idle function, and it can't relearn because the blade is not going all the way to close. Because That's right. of the carbon on the, on the back side of the blade. So now you can't get it to idle. It just keeps dying on you, dying on you, dying on you, all from just something as simple as disconnecting the battery. battery. Let's see who's been holding here. We have got Gary's been patiently holding. Good morning, Gary. Hey, good morning, fellas. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Uh, I don't have a real big problem, but sure. maybe something you can give me uh, some answers to. Be glad to try to help. When I take off in my truck, I got a 2001 GMC Fair. Okay. When I take off 10, 15, 20 miles an hour, mm -hmm. my steering wheel sways back and forth. Okay. And once you pick up speed, then yeah. you, either it goes away or you don't notice yeah, it. Yeah, right. What, what that might be. An what indication. it's doing, Gears, is turning into a vibration that's too rapid for you to feel. That is almost always going to be a separated or partially separated tire on the front, which is very, very, very dangerous. If you want uh -huh. to do something just to isolate that yourself, just take and rotate your tires front to rear and see if the if it changes. What you can probably feel is a little wobble in the back, almost like you're behind wobbling back and forth when you take off. Okay. But the steering wheel will feel better. But you, get that tire checked because if it's separated, what's happening is the air is leaking between the belts. It gets a knot on it. When that knot hits the road, it makes the wheel jerk. At low, low speed, it's not hitting it fast enough to do it. Around 20 is when you're going to start feeling it. When you get faster, it just bounces and it just kind of drones out and you don't feel it. Now, what's going to happen is it's going to tear the front end up if yeah. you don't take care of it pretty it'll, soon. It'll destroy that front end, plus it'll, be, it'll blow out and kill you. Right. It, it'll beat the shocks out of it. It'll beat the bushings out of it. One thing you can do is jack the each wheel up individually on the mm -hmm. front and just take your hands and spin the wheel. Right, and if the wheel it. wobbles or if it's got a big knot in it or something, yeah. you, can, you know you, right off the bat you, you, can you generally got a see problem. It. Yeah, you can even sometimes, just, Gary, be, just run your hand gently over it. And be careful because sometimes some say, wires yeah. will be sticking out and it'll cut you. But just kind of gently run your hand over the tread. You can feel it a lot of times. It'll be a knot in the tread somewhere. Okay, from what I hear both of y'all saying, it sounds like it's a tire problem. Almost, it's what it sounds almost like. always, yes, sir. There, there's one or two real mm. obscure things, but, man, I would definitely be checking those tires that, That's a classic symptom. Yeah. Okay, I sure appreciate the info. All right, Mr. Garrett. All right. Take hey, care. Thanks, All right, sir. now. Bye-bye. And we got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, guys. First of all, I really enjoy the show. I managed to listen a little bit almost every Saturday morning. Well, good day. Great. So, listen, a, a couple of things. One, I do the work on pretty much all the vehicles in my family. Okay. I got my mom, cousins, nephews. I don't know why, but I seem to be the only person who knows what a wrench is for in my family. <laughs> One of the things I'm running into, and I have an extensive set of tools. I used to mechanic before computers came on when yes. I was a young lad. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of diagnostic tools, and one of the things I'm running into 
and I don't remember on what car, but I think it's my sister's Durango. Uh-huh. She gets a, a light, and it says there's a vacuum leak. Yes, sir. And somebody told me that it might be the gas cap not sealing correctly. That's one possibility, Mike, but, but unfortunately there's probably about 200 or 300 more. First, you would probably want to check the gas cap. That requires a tester that you're not going to have. It's fairly pricey, but, I mean, you can run it by the shop. I'll check it for you and tell you if the cap is good or not. One other problem that we see a lot on that car is a part called a leak detection pump. They call it an LDP. It's a little uh-huh. pump underneath the car, and it creates the vacuum. Chrysler has its own little pump instead of using engine vacuum. And those go out a lot. I mean, they're notorious for that, and they set that EVAP code. But do again, they get, do they get it? Can they be intermittent? Because she'll, yeah. she'll go three, four months without having a yes. problem, and yeah. then the light goes on, and she very, freaks. Very much so. They'll work sometimes, not work sometimes. Of course, there's some solenoids that have to close to block the system off. If one of them hangs up occasionally, it's going to do it. EVAP codes can be real, real tough to find, particularly intermittent ones. Yeah, she'll bring it to me, and I'll spend I'll spend a day driving it, and yeah. I can't make it do anything, and then I'll erase the code. It'll come back, I'll erase it the well, second time, and it's gone. One know? thing, Mike, that you want to watch for on that is that you got to have between three-quarters and one-quarter of a tank of gas in order for that code to run. In ah. other words, if it's full, it's not going to run. If it's below right. a quarter tank, it's not going to run the test. And that may be part of why I can't find it sometimes. Well, see, she'll bring it in all different. Right. Well, let's say it's full. It gets down to three quarters. The light pops on. She drives it around, gets it down to a quarter, brings it to you. And then she goes ahead. It's not going to run until she gets to empty. Then she fills it up. Well, now it's full again. So it may not. It may take her two weeks to use up that much gas. Right. And you're not going to see light in that time because it's not going to. It's going to abort the test when it's less than a quarter or when it's more than three quarters. Okay, I got I got two other little things. Sure. One was the, your first caller. I think it was your first caller mm-hmm. was talking about disconnecting the battery yes, on his truck. Mm-hmm. I, in the that you know you have to disconnect the battery. Uh-huh. Does it help any if you turn everything, all your accessories off before you? I've had that problem too, where yeah. uh, I disconnected the battery and the heater stuff was crazy. Right. I couldn't get air the, out of the, the vent. The problem is, Mike, is there's so many things you cannot disconnect. Because you've got all kinds of little servos and motors and modules that are running and doing little tests, and I don't even know the keys off. You just never know what's doing what. That's not to mention you got five or six computers on board. Right. The, be- right. the best right. thing is if you have keep alive memory. If you've got a jumper battery, you can hook up across it. That's what we do at the shop. When we have to disconnect a battery, we jump across it with another battery. That holds right, power on the system. from the original. Right, take right. the original battery out, replace it, or do whatever you're going to do, but keep the power up in the system. We try to I, use I've been working on cars for 25 years, and that never occurred to me. That's <laughs> yeah. clever. Try, yeah. try to get to the back of the alternator if possible yeah. and get the main hot lead, the big lead right. that comes off to the battery, and jump uh-huh. there. That way you're not Stop. trying to jump right where you're trying to work. That's right. you got a remote site to jump from. If it's got a, an auxiliary hook the engine ground somewhere. or anywhere as far as ground. Yeah. Can you, ground it, can you ground it anywhere? Yeah, in, yeah. You, engine ground. Any steel, in, any steel part. Any metal part in the car, yeah. Okay, and then I got one last question. Okay, and, I, tell you, I, gotta take a quick, I gotta take a quick little break, but you hold on, I'll bring you right back after yeah, the break. Sure, that'd be great. Okay, hang that'd on, man. All right, we're going to take one more quick little break and be right back. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep, it's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. 
I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah, I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alpazan. Got my co-pilot, Brian Terry, right here on my side. So, between two of us, I believe we can answer just about any questions you might have. And we were talking to Mike. Mike, what was your other question? Yeah, my wife's coming. O2 Jeep Cherokee. Okay. And when I first got it, it had troubles with the air conditioning system. I put a new compressor on it, uh-huh. and it's worked fine for about a year now. Yes, sir. I bought it used. I bought it about two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, the check engine light comes on, and, and I get a message. I don't remember the number, but the message is something about minor evaporator leak, evaporator system leak. Oh, the that's not going, yeah, that's not going to be the air conditioner, though. See, they're, ah, they're, okay. talking, they're talking about the evaporative emissions leak, right. which is the same thing as, as the as first the, car you're talking the about. Durango. It, it doesn't check oh, the evaporator. Wait, say that again. I missed that. Remember the first car we are talking about with the gas cap problem, possibly? The Durango. Durango. Uh-huh. With, evac- with the evap- the same problem as that one's got. Right. It's, ah. it's, it's evaporative emissions because it doesn't check the evaporator core. Okay. It's checking evaporative well, emissions, which is the evaporation of the gasoline out of the fuel tank is what they're talking about. So I've been hunting the wrong dog on it. <laughs> That's it. That's right. <laughs> and, again, right, same type of things. You know, check that uh, leak detection pump, check for a gas cap, check for all that kind of stuff. Excellent. Thank okay. you so much. And, by the way, guys, yes, sir. awesome, awesome commercials. Oh, good deal. Thank, Thank you. you man. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we've got Roger's been patiently holding. Good morning, Roger. Yes, good morning. Yes, good sir. morning. I've got a 1998 Volkswagen Cabrio, uh-huh. and it sat up for um, about three months. Okay. And when we go to plug an OBD2 scanner, or what, what happened was it went to get an uh, inspection sticker. Uh-huh. They plugged in the, the scanner, yes, and sir. it can't read. Okay. We checked the voltage. is getting 12 volts to the right pin. Okay. Uh, something, the data pin's not working right, and actually... Last week, after we were working on a little bit, uh-huh. we plugged the scanner in, and it fried our scanner. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's unusual. I would probably take that to someone who had a Volkswagen scanner, okay. have them just check it and tell you what they find, because the state has had some issues where they don't communicate with certain cars, and this is certainly kind of a, I'm not going to say a weird car, but it's not a real Obscure. popular car. Right. It could be that there's a glitch in the state's computer because we've seen that on a lot of stuff where we take the factory tool, we can communicate, but they can't. And if that's the case, you can go to the center over in Port Allen and they will issue you a sticker. Okay. So you might just want to check that because I'm not sure of anything that could cause that. There's nothing really coming out of that connector but a data stream. It could be that just it was just time for your scanner to go. It just happened to go at that time, too. So, I mean, I wouldn't get overly excited unless there's some wires crossed somewhere on the connector. But if none of that's been worked on, I really would doubt that. Okay. So I would probably just go ahead and maybe pay someone who works Volkswagens to check it with a Volkswagen tool. If they can read it, then you're into some type of communication issue. And like I said, some of the Euro cars, are, are they use some weird stuff on them, and, and it may not communicate with the state's computer. Okay. All righty. 
Well, I appreciate it. Okay, Roger. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. And we got Maureen online. Good morning, Maureen. Good morning. I have a Ford F-250 2000, and we really haven't had any problems until this week. Okay. My husband went to start the truck, and when he put the key in, it turns completely around. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. that's pretty common. So I have two questions for you, and let's go. Is this going to be something that's going to be really expensive to fix? And also want to know if this is something that has to be taken to a dealer or can it be fixed in your shop? No, we can do that. And, no, it's generally not really expensive to fix. The lock cylinder is bad. It's a fairly common problem on them. If we can get the key out and make it work, which if we jiggle around what we may be able to get to, it's, it's a piece of cake. If you well, the key, it, it, we got the key out. Okay, so okay my, great. My is is okay. the key kind of worn out? Well, we use one key is a little more worn than the other, so uh-huh. we tried both keys. So. Yeah. Okay, well, bring when you when you get ready to get the tumbler, the ignition mm-hmm. switch fixed, mm-hmm. make sure you bring the best key you got, okay. because that key has to be tumbled. That cylinder has to be tumbled to a certain key. Right. Okay. Those don't come with a key. Right. Okay. And you have okay. to rotate it to get it out. If you can't rotate, it, you have to drill it out, and it's a little bigger deal. But right. it's, it's not terribly expensive either way. Okay. Great. Thank you so All much. Right. We'll you, be seeing you soon. All Thank right. You, You're welcome. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Uh-huh. And we've got Brian online. Good morning, Brian. Uh, good morning, guys. Yes. Good morning. I jumped in the truck this morning, and uh, I heard y'all on. I figured okay. I'd give somebody a shot at this. There you go. I've got a 96 Mazda Miata. Okay. And front passenger side wheel, getting some noise from it. Okay. It, the best way to describe it, uh-huh. it sounds like a, a dry bearing. It's okay. a, It's a, almost like a scratching sound. Okay. Bearing there. It, like a, it's a rear-wheel drive car, so it's not like you can it out and do all that well let me ask you uh, this brian does it do it when you start to roll does it do it when you turn the wheel what brings it on okay when you're going down the road uh-huh. it's faster right the faster you go right but applying the brakes don't doesn't make it stop okay, okay. it doesn't change it at all other than to slow down the it, it sounds like metal on metal grind does it change when the car rocks back and forth if you take the steering wheel and rock it to the left and the right while you're driving does the noise change no the only thing that makes the noise change is, is speed. Right. Um, Up or down with it, speed. Right. And it and it's just how fast. It sounds like something's hitting. And it's just a, a very slight rub, almost brake, like a brake pad. Would yes, sir. Up. I would really just have to kind of hear yeah. it, Brian. You, it could be that you've got something like a warped rotor. And it's wobbling just slightly, and it's hitting on the brake pads. That's one thing. There's the also a backing plate dust could shield. also be yeah, bent into the rotor. A little piece of tin dust shield that keeps the debris from getting to the rotor. That could get bent in slightly and tap on the backside of the rotor and make a noise like that. Like Brian was saying, what I would try is to get it up to a speed on a little side road somewhere where it's doing it pretty pronounced, and then sharply cut your wheel one way, and then sharply cut the wheel back the other way, and see if it changes the pitch of the noise. Because that's sort of a definitive test. Now, if that changes it, like it gets louder one way and quieter the other way, it's more likely going to be a front wheel bearing that's going bad because it, it does have a bearing in there. Okay. Yeah, because the brakes I've beat and kind of rode the brakes. Right. It doesn't it, change anything. If that doesn't change it, then I'm leaning more either towards a wheel bearing or possibly that dust shield. Now, what you can do is when you have it up, you'll see the, the metal shield on the back side of the thing. Just bend it back out of the way. Give it a little more clearance because you can bend it back as much as you want. It's not going to hurt anything. But just make sure that's not hitting on anything. We get that a lot, that little shield will kind of roll in, something hits it or whatever, and it starts rubbing on the rotor, it'll make that exact noise. But try- well, let me ask you, mm-hmm. if, it's a, if it is a bearing up yes, there, mm-hmm. I do a lot of my own work yes, on sir. the car. Mm-hmm. It, 
I have I can't find anywhere, not in any service manual, on how to change a bearing on that front wheel. That's pretty involved on that one because a pressed-in bearing, I think, it. I'd have to look up the service date on it. I don't know I off don't the top remember. of my head exactly how it works. But most of those are pressed-in bearings on the front. Some of them even have a hub bearing assembly that you can't. You just have to change the whole assembly. You can't take it apart. Oh, that's just my luck. A lot of cars are made that way now. It's non-serviceable bearing. It's all kind of. Just press together as one assembly. I'd have to check service data to be sure how that one works. I just don't see enough Miatas anymore to remember them. But that, well, try, cut, try cutting that wheel sharply back and forth while you're rolling and see if that changes a pitch. If it does, I'm betting a wheel bearing. Okay. All right. Good. Okay, man. Much. All right, Brian. All right. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. And we've got Robin online. Good morning, Robin. Hi. I have a 2004 Acura MDX. Oh, yes, ma'am have 175,000 miles wow. on it. Okay, great. And uh, when I'm driving, when I'm accelerating, sometimes I get a noise that just sounds like a, a blast of wind, and then it goes away almost immediately. Like it's coming through, like the front, just like the wind. It doesn't rock the car, but that's exactly what it sounds like. And it seems to be happening more frequently, and I took it to Acura, and they couldn't make it do it. Right. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a problem. Does it sound like it's coming through the dash, like through your air conditioning blowers? or? No, no? it just sounds like it's coming through the front grill. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty obscure complaint. I've never seen that particular problem on that car. It's going to be one of those things, Robin, where you're just going to have to get it to do it. How often does it occur normally? Is it once a um, week? Once a month? No, it'll occur like, I drive 30 miles to work, and uh -huh. it'll occur three or four times during that time. Okay, well, if it's occurring fairly frequently, what you're going to need to do is pick a shop that will allow the technician to ride with you in the car. Uh -huh. And what you do is you take the car, and you go out, and you drive it, and you do it, and let him hear it. Once you do that, then it'll be a fairly straightforward thing to find the noise. But until he knows what he's looking for and can duplicate it, you're just not ever going to find it. If you bring it and he just goes for a test drive... The problem with most dealerships, not to slam anybody's business, but the techs and dealerships generally work on commission. They're getting paid a percentage of what they can sell you, and they're not getting paid to ride around in the car, so they're not real eager to do it. Uh -huh. So if you find a shop where the technicians are paid a salary, they'd be a lot more amicable to, to work with. You know, They're getting uh -huh. paid for whatever time it takes to fix the car. Okay. So that's kind of one reason why those sorts of problems get overlooked. The other thing to do is if you wait a little bit until it does get worse and it's just doing it most all the time, then of course it would be a lot easier to find. Okay. So I, I can't think of anything right off the top of my head. It could be a cooling fan. There's two cooling fans up on the front by the grill and they do cycle on and off from time to time. And maybe one of them's dragging the fan, maybe hitting the shroud or something like that. Uh -huh. It's just going to be one of those things where you have to catch it doing it. One thing you might just try, Robin, is try turning the air conditioning on and try turning it off and see if that affects the noise at all. Okay. It, you know, it does it whether the air conditioner is on or off. Okay. Because okay. that it... controls one of the cooling fans, but the other one cycles with engine temperature. Right. And so it may have to hit a certain exact temperature, and that fan may cut in, and when it does, it could, it could be hitting on the shroud or something. The only other thing I can think of is possibly like a front motor mount or something that's broken. Some of those had some little motor mounts energized. They they have like a little servo motor in them, and they can make a sort of a weird noise from time to time. They have changed out three motor mounts mm -hmm. about a year ago. Okay, did start noise start after that? Well, the noise has started maybe two months ago. Yeah, could be related. Again, you're just going to have to get it to do it. 
Yeah. It's not fair to expect someone to find it that can't hear it because yeah. there's 10 billion things it could possibly be. And there's just nowhere for them to start until they hear the noise. Yeah, it doesn't seem to impact anything. It right. Is it right? Well, know? a lot of noises don't. They're really not critical to the car. They're just aggravating, and you want to fix them. So I would try that, see if you can find someone to ride with you until it does it. The other thing would be just to wait until it gets a little more regular, and that way you should be able to find it fairly easy. Okay, thank right. you. Okay, ma'am, thank right. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, one last little break, and we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at Agco Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got lead tech Brian Terry right here by my side. Between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we've got William's been patiently holding. Good morning, William. Louis, how you doing this Doing morning? great, sir. My 98 Silverado. Uh-huh. I need to find out. I put cap, rotor, and spark plug wires. And I still got a little light jumping in the uh, 350 engine. Okay. I was kind of told that it may be in that injector. Uh, yeah, bank. it may be all kinds of things, but what you need yeah. to do is find out what it is before you waste any more money on it because there's probably yeah. 500 well, needed, things it could be. Yeah, I needed the distributor cap. Yeah. Uh, once I pulled it, it was corroded a little right. bit inside and the button, and so I changed that out. Right. And right. You're just going to have to get the thing, someone who can check it, put a lab scope yeah. on it, see what's going on because you have no clue. Whether it's spark-related, compression-related, injection-related, timing-related, and uh-huh. to go in and just start changing stuff and say, well, it feels like it might be this, uh-huh. you're going to run out of money way before you run out of guesses. <laughs> I'll well, sure make money. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then go change the spider assembly. <laughs> Call yeah. me back next week. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, spider assembly is about $400. Uh, about about right. 6 for the spider yeah. assembly and That's about, for three hour, about three hours yeah. labor to change it. Yeah. That's one right. possibility. Could have okay. an intake leak. Yeah. You know, it could be anything. Distributor gear wore out. Yeah. Magnet on the distributor crack. Uh-huh. Yeah. I could, I could uh, yeah, if we you. want to sit here and guess, we can yeah, guess all afternoon. That's right. Yeah. You're going to have to bring that to somebody who knows what to do, and William, give them diagnose it. And if you want to fix it yourself, that's fine. But you're going to run out of money way before you run out of guesses. I'll set up an appointment to come visit you. Yeah. Just get checked. They could tell you exactly. I mean, probably less than an hour they can diagnose that problem. And then you'll know. Okay. And the, the fix is easy once you got the problem figured out. Okay. All righty. Will do. Thank okay, you. Okay, man. Thank right. you, sir. Bye-bye. And we've got Ray online. Good morning, Ray. Hey. Yes, sir. Good morning. About an 04 Trailblazer. Okay. I had the brake uh, pads done because I was going on a trip. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, they still had 50% left on it. Okay. They wasn't making any doors or anything. Mm-hmm. And he said he put the best pads on there that you could buy. 
Well, but, best mm. pads you can buy is to go back to Chevrolet dealer and buy the OEM pad. That's right. Right. So but, if you sold you put the best pads you can buy, you probably didn't do that. Right. It's really it's still squeaking. Yeah. It wasn't mm-hmm. squeaking before, but that is. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's because you put a set of junk aftermarket pads on it. And if you leave them on it, they're going to warp the rotors. That's right. If you still it's got almost the, a guarantee. Still got the original pads? Well, no, I, I changed them. I had, I had the original pads. Yeah, what, what he's asking is, do you still have them? If you still have them, put the original pads back because they're probably good for 150,000 miles. You kidding? No. No, not at all. Now, the I junk, you put, junk you put on there going to last about 40,000 warped rotors. Go, I, if, you, if you ain't got them, you got to go back to Chevrolet dealer, buy a set, and tell them you want original equipment pads. You don't want that Durastop junk. And yeah. they, they sell both. And expect to pay what they want for them. If you're going to pay about 150 bucks for a set of pads. Oh, really? That's oh, right. Yeah, yeah they're going to be expensive. But they last 150,000 miles and don't warp the rotor, so they're cheaper than uh, anything else you can buy. Well, I should have never changed them, I guess. That's right. Hey, well, there you go. <laughs> All right, buddy. Okay. All right, man. Thank have you, a man. good day. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we got John online. Good morning, John. Hey. Yes, 86 Toyota pickup. Uh-huh. 262,000. Wow. Just All right. get rid of it. It's my old baby. <laughs> there you go. Uh, through the, uh, just, it was getting to where it was an island clean. And uh, look at the maintenance schedule. Mm-hmm. You, you do the routine maintenance right. myself, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Put new plugs in it, right. uh, air filter, rotor cap, rotor yeah. wires. Yeah. Still island bad. Uh, did a valve check. Right. And that ain't going to fix an idle problem. No. So I, I'm sitting there turning this idle screw. and, no. and uh, Don't do that. Oh. Don't do that. Mess with that, huh? No. No. That's got to Is injected or is it carbureted? No, it's carbureted. Man, John, the first thing you want to do on that is make sure you don't have any kind of vacuum leak anywhere on the truck. Because about 90% of all rough idle concerns are going to be a vacuum leak. Right. And they can be real difficult to find. Well, that's where I am. Particularly on something that old. Fit. In the shop, what they do is they normally will smoke test the car. They'll put smoke in the intake, and that smoke will come out of the leak so you can see it. But check all those lines real, real, real good. Make sure you don't have a hose that's cracked somewhere or a gasket that's bad. I've been playing with that a little. Yeah. Hey, if memory serves me, there's about a gazillion yeah. vacuum lines on that exactly motor. Right. It's got a ton. Yeah. plug with little clips and so right. forth. Right, yeah. and they're probably all old and they all dry rotted. Absolutely. The next thing to do would be to get a vacuum gauge and put on it and see if that vacuum gauge is nice and smooth at an idle. If the vacuum gauge is bouncing, at an idle, it could be that you've got a valve of some sort that's starting mm-hmm. to hang up or actually a burnt not valve or something, all not seating completely. That's a 22R engine in it. Right. Does it make any kind of noise on startup or anything? Well, it it's acts like it's just missing on cylinders, but I play with the wires, you know, and each yeah. cylinder individually, and it, it comes back to life, and it just seems to be that it won't go out of choke. It's like the choke is sticking. Yeah, but you can't go by that. What I but, would do is... Try taking the plug wires off one at a time. That's what I've done. And see if it dies down the same exact amount on every single cylinder or that's if one right. of them affects it more than the rest of them. No, they're all the same. If they're all exactly the same, then there's something that's affecting all of them. It's not in an individual cylinder, so you can eliminate the wires and the plugs that's and right. all that stuff. That's where I went to carburetor side. Probably going to be a vacuum leak somewhere. Right. That carburetor thing is right at the end of when they were making carburetors. This probably is... That's it's probably as complicated it. as you're going to ever yeah. get. Right. Almost anything you do to it is going to make it worse. So uh, I'd leave the carburetor alone, but just make absolutely sure you don't have a vacuum leak anywhere. Check to, that's probably got an old-style EGR valve on it. Make sure that EGR valve isn't hung partially open because that's a vacuum that'll leak cause, also. Yeah, that'll EGR. cause EGR. Yeah, exhaust yes, gas recycle. And and where is that valve? Somewhere mm. on the motor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I identified. It just... 
it's just going to be like a little round dash pot with a vacuum line going it's to it. And it hooks into the exhaust manifold. There, you know? Yeah, this is yeah. big, bigger than most of them. Okay. And it'll be real hot. Okay. Because it's hooked into the exhaust. But if, if it leaks, it'll produce a vacuum leak. Sounds like, like I need to come see you guys rather yeah. than spending a lot of money with somebody else like the previous guy chasing the wrong dog, you know? Yeah. See, I don't mess with anything with a carburetor, though, John. Oh, you not, don't? It's not equipped for it. Yeah, everything we do is ejected. But there, you there's, recommend somebody, Stevie, no. Not off the top of my head, but if you send me an email, I'll see if I can find somebody for you okay okay i appreciate the time all right thank you thank now you, thank sir. you bye-bye all right hey we are totally out of time want to tell about how much we appreciate listening this morning and every saturday morning on the automotive hour matt and jerry sorry we couldn't get to you. you can either send me an email i'll get an answer or give us a call next week and we want to thank all our podcasters for listening every week that's right there you go we're going to get out of here have a great weekend Thank you.